You're listening to Stanford Out Loud. We bring you stories from Stanford Magazine featuring the voices of our campus community. I'm your host, Kevin Cool, editor of Stanford Magazine. I'm delighted to bring you the first episode of our pilot season, the story, Who Killed Jane Stanford? It was the night of January 14, 1905. Stanford University's co-founder, Jane Stanford, was getting ready for bed at her mansion in San Francisco. She drank a glass of mineral water from a bottle that had been placed in her room, as it was every night, by a household servant. But on this night, the water tasted strangely bitter. She forced herself to vomit and called for her secretary and her maid. They each tasted the water and agreed that it had an odd flavor. The water was sent to the pharmacy for analysis, and some weeks later, the verdict was returned. The mineral water contained enough strychnine to kill a person within minutes. Mrs. Stanford was deeply upset by the chemist's report. She was also suffering from a nasty chest cold that was made worse by San Francisco's fog. And she had other worries, too. Recent reports from a faculty confidant had led her to doubt whether University President David Starr Jordan was the right man to lead Stanford. With all of this trouble on her mind, Mrs. Stanford decided to sail to Hawaii to rest and recuperate. She and her attendants left San Francisco on February 15, 1905, about a month after the poisoning. Two weeks later, Mrs. Stanford was getting ready for bed at the Moana Hotel in Honolulu. She called for bicarbonate of soda as a digestive aid. Her personal secretary, Bertha Burner, prepared it for her. At 11.15, Mrs. Stanford cried out, waking her servants, Run for the doctor! I think I've been poisoned again! Robert W.P. Cutler, Stanford physician and emeritus professor of neurology, has written a book called The Mysterious Death of Jane Stanford. In it, he describes the scene that Dr. Francis Howard Humphreys found when he entered Mrs. Stanford's hotel room. As Humphreys tried to administer a solution of bromine and chloral hydrate, Mrs. Stanford, now in anguish, exclaimed, My jaws are stiff. This is a horrible death to die whereupon she was seized by a spasm that progressed relentlessly to a state of severe rigidity. Her jaws clamped shut, her thighs opened widely, her feet twisted inwards, her fingers and thumbs clenched into tight fists, and her head drew back. Finally, her respiration ceased. With the help of several other physicians, Humphreys tried everything he could to revive Mrs. Stanford without success. An autopsy and an inquiry by a coroner's jury followed. After reviewing the autopsy report and hearing three days of testimony, the jury took only two minutes to reach its conclusion. The cause of death was strychnine poisoning, and the strychnine had been put into a bottle of bicarbonate of soda with felonious intent by person or persons unknown. By this time, University President David Starr Jordan was on his way to Honolulu with a group of his own. When he arrived, he hired a local physician, Ernest Waterhouse, to dispute the cause of death. With that doctor's brief report in hand, and Mrs. Stanford not yet laid to rest, Jordan announced to the press that Mrs. Stanford had not died of poisoning, but of heart failure. That is the story that made the history books. For 10 years following her husband's death in 1893, Jane Lathrop Stanford had been the sole trustee of the university that the couple had established in memory of their son. 
She was involved in Stanford's daily management, and she corresponded with President Jordan on every operational matter. When she disapproved of a faculty member, she told Jordan to oust him. And when she began to second-guess some of Jordan's decisions, she asked a German professor named Julius Gable to keep a paper trail on Jordan. Emeritus Humanities professor Bliss Carnican learned that at the time of the poisonings, Gable had been investigating a number of controversies surrounding President Jordan at Mrs. Stanford's request. In June of 1904, Gable reported in a letter to Jane Stanford that Jordan's favoritism and political patronage were endangering faculty recruitment. In another letter to trustee Horace Davis, Gable wrote that Mrs. Stanford had reached the point of removing the president. Which brings us back to Honolulu and to President Jordan's announcement that Mrs. Stanford had died of a heart ailment, with only the report from Waterhouse to support his conclusion. In his book, Cutler documents how Jordan cast doubt on Humphreys and his medical colleagues. The president even accused Humphreys of adding the strychnine to the bicarbonate of soda after Mrs. Stanford had died. But when Cutler researched the doctors who attended Mrs. Stanford the night she died, and those who performed the autopsy and inquest, he found that they all had good reputations, and their unity of opinion on the case was compelling. Humphreys took great care to gather the evidence at the death scene. The bicarbonate of soda, the glass and spoon used to prepare it, the chamber pot, an ounce of vomit, and the cascara capsules on the nightstand. These items were given to the sheriff in the presence of a judge, who in turn watched the sheriff hand off the evidence to the chief sanitary officer of the Hawaii Territorial Board of Health. The autopsy was conducted by seven physicians and a toxicologist, including three doctors who had not attended Mrs. Stanford on the night of her death. A mortician and a morgue assistant were witnesses. In short, Cutler says, there is ample evidence that Mrs. Stanford was poisoned, that she was given good care, and that Jordan went to Hawaii to hush it up. It's not surprising that the statement by Jordan, who was a university president and prominent scientist, would have carried more weight than the statements of the doctors on the recently annexed island. The only doctor of questionable character, Cutler says, was the one Jordan hired, Ernest Waterhouse. Jordan paid Waterhouse the present-day equivalent of $7,000 for a four-page report slapped together without much independent investigation. Just days after receiving his payment, Waterhouse sailed for Ceylon. When he returned to Honolulu three months later, charges of unethical conduct awaited him for consulting on the case without any first-hand knowledge. But there is no evidence that the accusations were ever formally pursued, and the Waterhouse report was never made public. Only one person was present at both poisoning incidents, Mrs. Stanford's personal secretary, Bertha Berner. Berner had been Mrs. Stanford's companion for 30 years, and the two apparently had a caring relationship. Police and private investigators interviewed Berner, and she testified at the inquiry. She was not considered a serious suspect. Cutler is reluctant to speculate further about possible suspects, except to say this, Berner seems to have had ample opportunity, but no obvious motive. Jordan seems to have had motive, but no obvious opportunity. Could the two have worked together? Cutler says, If anyone wishes to draw such conclusions, they should have evidence to support them. I couldn't find any, so I will leave the reader to draw his or her own conclusions. Carnican is less guarded. 
In his article on the subject, he wrote, Could David Starr Jordan have been responsible for Jane Stanford's death? Even the most vivid conjecture resists the notion of Jordan slipping into Mrs. Stanford's San Francisco pantry, bath, or bedroom to spike her mineral water or lace her bicarbonate of soda with strychnine. In no printed source that I have seen was Jordan ever implicated as a suspect, but who at the time would have known that his presidency was at risk? A letter from Gable, written after he had moved on to Harvard, implies that Jordan was capable of doing whatever he needed to do, but no conclusion is to be had beyond the most obvious. Anything is possible. Speculating on an unsolved century-old murder is risky business. It's something scholars tend to shy away from, but Cutler effectively makes the case that Jane Stanford was murdered. The original version of this story was written by Susan Wolfe and appeared in the September 2003 issue of Stanford Magazine. Stanford Out Loud is produced by Charity Ferreira and Will Rogers and brought to you by the Stanford Alumni Association. For more of our stories, visit stanfordmag.org.